to our Reach Next Generation podcast. I am Grace Jeffries and I'm thinking about my future. To help me with this, I'm speaking with successful women to get an understanding of the challenges they faced throughout their careers, how they became them and what tips they for girls of my age. Today my guest is Sarah Furness, who is a former combat helicopter pilot and squadron leader and keynote speaker. Sarah helps leaders to perform and thrive under fire. Thanks for joining me today, Sarah. Can we start by you telling us all how your career took you to the RAF? Yes, absolutely. It's lovely to be here. Um, thank you. And it's actually very timely. I don't know if um, if people have seen the latest Top Gun sequel that came out, but it really all started when I watched Top Gun when I was about 12 years old. And mm. I decided that's what I wanted to do. And I didn't really deviate from that for the rest of my my life. So I sort of made my mind up and joined things like the Air Cadets and CCF while I was at school. And then there was um, a recruiting officer that came to the school to visit and guided me through the process of applying for sixth form scholarships and flying scholarships and then also um, being sponsored through university. So it started when I was about your age, I suppose. So when you were at school, apart from watching that Top Gun movie, did you know what you wanted to do or be or did that happen maybe a little bit later in life? No, no, I pretty much made my mind up there and then just based on a film. (laughs) It's quite, quite, um, I suppose, quite a strong decision to make. But I think the other thing that was going on was my brother was in the Navy and he was a bit older than me. Mm. And so that was an influence. And both my parents were very supportive of me. So... I just didn't, it didn't occur to me to do anything else. I just thought, that's it. That's what I want. That's what I want to do yeah. now. So. How old were you when you first watched that Top Gun movie? Do you know, I can't remember. Um, I, I can't even remember. I think it might be a 15 and I might not have been old enough to watch it. <laughs> I think I was about 12 or 13. <laughs> so quite young to make yeah. up what you wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, really young and amazing that it kind of ended up you know doing something that was so close to it really but yeah. I suppose that's uh yeah if you kind of stick uh, keep your mind to it and it's amazing yeah. you, know, you actually do end up doing what you set out to do I suppose of course so I know that you went to Cambridge University but how important do you think actually is to go to university especially since there's loads of internships and schemes mm-hmm. throughout companies nowadays it's such a good question when I left school it was very popular to go to university mm-hmm. and I feel like now people are you know, quite rightly questioning that a bit more now and and just asking themselves what is the right thing for me so I would absolutely recommend it because I had a brilliant time and I think the main thing that I got from well the thing that I got from university was great friends who are still great friends today and have probably helped me in my professional career as well by having connections yeah um just enjoying life you know um there's plenty of time to be serious and worry about money um and try and make a living so I think just being able to enjoy yourself um because I get the impression school's pretty pressurized now and it's not to say there isn't pressure at university but I think it's important to have fun too and then I think the other thing was sort of learning to learn and just developing a real curiosity So it goes beyond academic studies. It goes beyond being able to um, not regurgitate so much. But, you know, it really is about being curious. And I think that's 
something that I really got from university was just being very interested by things. And I think that stood me in good stead. Now, there's not to say you can't get that other places, but those are the main benefits that I got from university. Hmm. So obviously we've all been hit by COVID with things just Mm -hmm. beginning to feel normal again. But how have you had to deal with the COVID-19 issues, both personally and professionally? Yes. So, well, I homeschooled. So my son is seven. So he was five at the time. And it's a full time job. You know, absolutely. I take my hat off to to teachers. Um, And of course, lots of parents were doing the same same as me Mm. and realising we don't really know what we're doing. So that was quite an experience. It was a brilliant one because I got to spend time with my son that I wouldn't normally have spent. And it did give me a, a fresh perspective on, you know, what's involved in teaching. So that was a real, you know, personal and professional challenge because I was also still yeah. doing my job. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of a lot of parents and probably slightly more mums than dads, from, <laughs> from what I can tell, felt that strain of trying to sort of do two jobs. So I think that it was quite, you know, it was quite hard for, from that perspective. But the benefit was that I got to spend time with people that I loved. Of course. So as part of our Reach Next Generation Summit, we look at diversity and opportunity from young girls from the black and minority communities. But do you think that we are seeing more people from the BAME communities or just girls and women in general join the military? And how do you think we can encourage more people to do so? Yes, I think we are. It's still predominantly, um, you know, white males, I suppose, in the military. But I think the military is doing a lot. Um, And I think a lot of it is just visibility. You know, all of the um, recruiting posters, for example, will have, you know, uh, um, minorities or, or representations from, you know, the whole breadth of them. So I think the military is good for that kind of thing, um, but we can always do better. Um, and I think the main thing really is, you know, mentoring. And I know we're going to probably talk touch on mentoring later, but mentoring. And I think you can't, to a certain extent, you can't be what you can't see. So yeah. I think the more the people that do it and the more that we just push through those boundaries and the more women that do things and the more BAME and the more um, ethnic minorities, you know, it's just to sort of keep keep inspiring those trailblazers because it doesn't happen overnight. And, you know, it would be it would be, you know, disheartening for us to expect results overnight because that's not how culture works and it's not how change works. Mm-hmm. So I think it's keeping the faith, going out there and doing what feels right and being that trailblazer and just knowing that, you know, 10 years down the line, it will look very different and you'll have been part of that. Yeah. Well, talking about maybe the future, the world is changing so much and super quickly. But what do you think work for women might look like, as you said, in 10 years time? Yeah, I know. Such a great question as well. And I'm very interested to hear what other people have said about this, because, mm-hmm. you know, if we, if we knew the answer, probably very rich. <laughs> but um <laughs> I mean, from my observation, I would say that um, more and more what was traditionally seen as a feminine trait, whether that is feminine or not, but, you know, um, empathy, 
compassion, yeah. nurturing, um, emotional intelligence, even to a certain t- degree. And that's not to say our male counterparts don't have all that, but it's been <laughs> traditionally seen as something that women are more natural at. Mm. And I think more and more this is becoming a currency. I think they are looking for leaders with those types of skills. And I'm actually speaking to a lot of male leaders who are saying, I need to I need to up my game because it doesn't come naturally to me. So I, I need to sort of work out how to be more more of a woman <laughs> almost. Yeah. Um, so I feel as though the world is starting to gear itself more towards the kind of emotional type skills as opposed to potentially what they used to be. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if we see more and more women just, um, you know, rising up through the leadership. And it would be very interesting to see how policies and companies are shaped because they've got, you know, that that sort of softer touch. And I'm aware that I'm myself making some assumptions and stereotypes. So yes. I apologise. I'm sort of speaking in the current language. Of and course. I acknowledge that we'll probably look back on this in 10 years ago, in 10 years and think, I can't believe she said that. <laughs> but, you know, at the moment, that's what I'm seeing. Yeah. So earlier I mentioned that you were also a keynote speaker. I just want to know, what led you to be a keynote speaker after your career in the REF? So a couple of things, really. I... Really, so I actually trained as a mindfulness coach, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to help people learn how to train their brain. So I don't necessarily mean mindfulness in the, in the meditation sense, although that is a form of it. But it's more about learning how to work with your mind. And I was very interested in doing that. And I discovered that speaking was a really great vehicle for it because you can get your points across to your ideal audience. And I also had a gift in that I had lots of helicopter stories that people were very interested in hearing. So people were willing to listen to me and then I, I could share my lessons with them and yeah. hopefully help people to you know perform better and feel happier. So I think there was a realisation that there was there was a kind of demand for for that. And also I spoke to other speakers who were ex-military who said, you know, come on, Sarah, you know, you should be out there on the speaker circuit because people will want to hear your story. So I was really well mentored and encouraged as well. Well, I have to ask then, what are some of the most exciting moments in your career, like helicopter stories, fun stuff like that? Yes. Well, quite a few. (laughs) I tell a I tell a story about the first time I was ever involved in a helicopter crash. Oh. And I was actually flying down a valley in Morocco. And we're very low level at this point, so Mm. about 50 feet off the ground. That's what we tend to do in helicopters. We fly very low. And we kind of came round the corner and hit some wires that were strung across the valley. And the canopy just completely shattered and it got really noisy. And I remember I was looking through the chin window to where my feet are and I could just see, you know, fresh air, basically. Mm. And um, I remember thinking at that point, oh, my goodness, this is how I'm going to die. I think I was 23 years old. I thought, gosh, this is how I'm going to go. I'm going to die today. And then the other guy who was flying with me, so the captain of the aircraft was in the other seat um, next to me. Yeah. And he said, fly the aircraft, Sarah. And it's such a simple statement. And it was a bit of a mantra that we used to have because it's very easy when you're flying to get really wrapped up in all the other stuff that's going on and worrying about a radio call or worrying about what's coming next or worrying about what you've just screwed up on. 
but actually all that matters is that you're flying that aircraft in a straight line. And I think that's a great model for life. Um, it's so easy to spend so much of our attention worrying about things or being distracted by all the devices that are around us that we yeah. forget to focus on the thing that is most important. And that is in the present moment, what is my priority? And in that moment, my priority was flying the aircraft. So it's it's bode me very well. And I tell it as a story because everyone likes a helicopter story. And it's actually a really powerful but simple lesson is that where yeah. is your attention right now? And where does it need to be? Bring your attention back to where it needs to be, and that will serve you very well. Wow, that definitely sounds very scary. <laughs> so did did the helicopter not get damaged, or was it just the windows? So you could still It was fly? massively damaged, yes. Oh. So so the canopy was completely shattered and the the engine um where the engine intakes are um yeah. was also damaged but fortunately it's quite a sturdy aircraft and it was still flying completely fine and we put it on the ground pretty quickly um yeah and then it had to get actually lifted out by a chinook helicopter which is quite embarrassing <laughs> but, uh, but yeah it's um, it's actually you know credit to the puma helicopter it's quite a sturdy sturdy mm. old thing well, you mentioned earlier about mentors and people that maybe you mm. could admire. So throughout your career, have you had any mentors or people that you particularly admired? Yeah, I've had loads of brilliant sort of mentors and inspirations. I remember one of the early bosses that I worked for, he was very, very high up. And I was actually his kind of like his MA, his, his kind of secretary, I suppose. Yeah. And he was just the busiest man in the world. But I remember, I, and I was around him all the time. And I don't ever remember him being short with anyone, saying he didn't have time. And people would apologise, say, I know you're really busy. He said, no, it's fine. It, it must be important because you wouldn't have come to see me if, if you hadn't. Yeah. So I was really impressed that he was a genuinely personable person. And he never let the job detract from the basic rule that is, you know, be kind to people and respect yeah. people. So I think that, you know, that was a great mentor early on. And then having left the military as well, um, you know, people like John Peters and Mandy Hickson. I believe you've had Mandy Hickson um, yeah. on yeah. the show. They've been absolutely fantastic as well, really kind and generous with their time and advice. Yeah. So, um, yes, I, I mean, I think surround yourself with, with mentors because it helps you to bounce ideas off it helps you to formulate where you want to go with things you still have to make your own mind up I, mean, you, I think you can get a bit overwhelmed if you try and do what everyone else is doing but I think if you can surround yourself with mentors and and, and look at what you can achieve then it's um you know it's a great place to be yeah so finally what tips would you give girls when they start to think about their own careers or their own futures so this, I knew this question was coming <laughs> and I still, so I guess I'd like to say a couple of things about that. It depends. Everyone is different. So this might not resonate with you if this doesn't, you know, describe you, but I was a big planner. I had everything mapped out, as you heard, from the age of 12. And I like to plan everything in advance. And so I guess... One of the things I would say is, if that's you, that's great, because I tell you what, I got to where I was going, so fantastic. But also stop and look around and just enjoy enjoy yourself. I think, you know, I was quite serious 
um, when I was going through school, very focused. Um, so I think, you know, make sure that you stop and, and enjoy yourself. And you don't have to have everything figured out straight away. I know it's, I remember how scary it was when I was that age and I wanted to know everything that was going to happen. But actually, if you can have a bit of faith in yourself, have faith in your ability, you will be fine. Whatever is coming, you will be fine and you will work it out. So I think just having that kind of self-belief, which is easy to say, hard to do, mm. uh, and just believe that you'll, you'll be able to work it out and you don't have to have all the answers straight away. And yeah. I think the other thing is when you set your goals, I set my goals very much on a very fixed kind of, I've got to be Tom Cruise, basically. And that didn't happen because yeah. I didn't end up flying fast jets, I ended up flying helicopters. So I think it's also worthwhile remembering that, you don't have to have a really laser sharp idea of what that will look like because you don't know what's around the corner. Something might change, your priorities might change. And then if you don't get to that very, very precise description, then you might feel like you've kind of not quite made it. So yeah. I would more focus on what really what values you have. You know, what do I stand for? What kind of person do I want to be remembered as and what energizes me and the sort of the less tangible stuff I think that can be the thing that guides you more than a job description of course it's nice to have a job description but I wouldn't worry too much about putting a very precise label on things you know that far out I would be guided by what feels right to you yeah well I've really enjoyed chatting with you today Sarah thank you so so much and I'm sure everyone listening will now be thinking about some of the choices they're about to make in their own futures so keep listening to the Reach Next Generation podcasts as they talk to many more brilliant women more information about us is at reachnextgeneration.com and thank you to our sponsors Barclays Bank, Levi Strauss, Sage PLC, Haynes Watts and Ideal Standard <laughs>